Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Welcome to Exchange Trade Fridays, a weekly roundup of markets and ETF news from ETF.com. I am Dan Micah. I'm a reporter with ETF.com, and with me are my colleagues, Samit Roy. Hey, everyone. And Heather Bell. Hi, everybody. So uh, we're just going to kick it off with uh, we're in full earnings season, just got a lot of tech, uh, tech earnings in and just it's been a real whipsaw in the past couple of days, especially with earnings. Um, and not just with earnings, frankly, with these with these mega caps, but also just with general market news happening. Uh, Tesla has been down almost 15 percent from Monday after um, after investors realized that Elon Musk is going to have to sell off some Tesla shares. And he has sold off some Tesla shares to pay for his uh, go private deal for Twitter. Uh, Facebook was up 18 percent at one point after it turned uh, to daily user growth after um, losing, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of market cap um, in, in the course of a day after posting its first ever loss of daily active users. Netflix, of course, is still way, way, way down from last week's nightmare earning report. I think it down about forty three percent or so. Um, and QQQ has been down about five point five percent in the past ten days. Um, you know, recovering from nine percent, but still down. That's you know approximately eighteen percent year to date. So, uh, me, you've been tracking all these earnings. What's your sense right now of just how how these really big mega cap names are are moving the markets and how just you know individual things that are happening with them at the business company level is is shifting around these indices. Yeah, Dan, I think it's concerning, right? The the Fang M Group, which is Fang plus Microsoft. That makes up a fifth to a quarter of the S&P 500. So these are super important stocks for pretty much everyone's portfolio, even if you're just an index investor. So to see something like Amazon down 13% today, that's not a super encouraging sign. On the other hand, we did see Facebook slash Meta up 18%, like you said, yesterday. So just a ton of volatility and the earnings report aren't, Earnings reports aren't really giving us a clear signal uh, of where the market is going to go from here. For the most part, earnings are holding up okay, but they are decelerating. We're probably going to, um, you know, see the slowest earnings growth this quarter since 2020. So that's just another headwind that investors have to deal with on top of inflation, on top of interest rates and geopolitics and all of that. So what's an investor to do in this environment? I think whatever you do, you want to stay diversified. That's always been true, but especially the case now. And that's whether you hold individual stocks or even if you hold ETFs, because there are ETFs out there which are pretty concentrated, and that exposes you to uh, more single stock risk. Um, But to answer your question uh, more directly, Dan, I think, you know, these big moves, they're pretty much par for the course during earnings season. But they're even more common when sentiment is so bad like it is right now. And for the most part, these companies are not getting rewarded even when they beat earnings. I mean, you might get a couple percent 
up when you beat, but when you down, uh, when you miss, you're down 10, 20, 30, 40%, like you saw with Netflix and Teladoc. That's the type of asymmetric risk that really works against concentrated portfolios, like in the case of ARC, as I'm sure we're going to talk about later. So in this environment, that's what I'll say. You want to stay diversified. You want to have a behaviorally optimal portfolio where you're not tempted to sell just because things are down. So, so what do you guys think, though? What, what should investors be doing in this kind of environment where tech stocks, which have been so important in the market, are all over the place? Um, Sameet, actually, I was wondering, when you say that investors need to stay diversified, are you just uh, recommending kind of like a total market fund like VTI or something like that? Or is that kind of in keeping what you, with what you're thinking? I mean, that's one way to do it, right? Everyone's in- investment objectives are different, right? One investor might want to be all in on index funds. Another investor might uh, want a you know, more diversified ETF portfolio where they have international exposure. They have more thematic ETFs, really. I'm not a financial advisor, and you know, I wouldn't give that kind of advice here necessarily. So that's up to each investor. But regardless of your portfolio makeup, uh, I think you want to, you know, have more than a dozen stocks in your whole portfolio. Um, you want to be diversified. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like all this volatility is just normal for earnings season in a way. But also, um, I feel like it's reflecting the fact that probably most people are anticipating a recession coming up. I mean, that just seems to be the consensus that that's what we're going to be facing, if not in a couple weeks or months, but soon. <laughs> well, I, I think that this kind of gets back to the, this concept that we were t- we were touching on last week, especially with Netflix, is that, you know, the, 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 like, for example, Facebook shot back up simply because it, it posted, you know, it, it posted pretty, you know, it, it didn't lose money, but it got, it got back on the, on the, the path of growth and, and the growth of its user base and the growth of effectively what it, what it sells to advertisers to make money. Um, and we see Netflix doing the exact opposite. It lost uh, subscribers for the first time in more than a decade and the, the market absolutely punished them for it. So, you know, I, I guess it's just the question, and you know, to me, Heather, I'll I'll pose it to you: is like, what is the you know, what is kind of the blend between um, how we uh, how we decide whether growth stocks are 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 you know the core part of you know the S and P five hundred and the vast majority of equity portfolios? Are we just kind of betting that they're going to continue to grow forever, and you know, eventually, if they start slowing growth, that's when we all start to panic. Um, or do we just kind of eventually decide like these companies are, are where they're at um, and, you know, they'll continue to post, you know, relatively, you know, they'll continue to post profits, they'll continue to post dividends, but they won't necessarily end up in, the, in this place where they will continue to grow and grow and grow. And that's what gives them the, the stock prices that they have. Um, I mean, eventually, do we just have to just kind of accept that, especially in an environment where, Consumers have to tighten their belts, and even though we're seeing wage gains, real real wage gains are still declining due to inflation. Are we just going to have to, you know, kind of accept that this is going to be the norm right now? Is that the stock market, you know, and, and these big indices, even though they're still, 
very, very high and still, you know, elevated compared to like to pre-2020. Um, we're just not going to see the growth that we were used to that made the 2010s such an easy decade to, you know, get a, a solid return now just having, you know, having an S&P 500 fund. Um, I, I agree with that. I think I think we are going to have to accept that the markets aren't going to be as kind of growth friendly as we've been seeing. I mean, things have, people have been saying um, that the market looks toppy for, I guess, recent years. So, you know, I I, I think that yeah, it's not it that kind of growth isn't sustainable like what we've been seeing. I don't know, Samit. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising to have a decade with lower returns after those huge gains we've seen in the 2010s, right? That wouldn't be surprising. But I don't think investors should necessarily be panicking about any of this, right? That's just the nature of the stock market. It goes through cycles, different decades have different return profiles. And yeah, the big mega cap tech companies are not going to grow forever. But unlike, say, in the year 2000, when tech was also dominant, um, the valuations on these companies aren't all that high. They're high for certain pockets of the technology sector, but when you look at Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, uh, or especially Google, right? Google's multiple is actually lower than the S&P 500, even though it's growing much faster than the S&P 500. So I don't think we have to necessarily panic about that. Things are very different today than they were say, during the dot-com bubble. Um, on the other hand, we do have a lot of macro issues to contend with. So I think those are more of the concern rather than what's going on with the FANG stocks. The FANG stocks, overall, the reports have been decent. They've been kind of mixed. We saw, obviously, Meta is forecasting revenue growth of zero in the second quarter. But a lot of that has to do with privacy changes that Apple put on the iPhone rather than anything going on specifically um, in the digital ad market. Google, likewise, YouTube, revenue growth, 14%. Yeah, it's lower than it was a year ago, but they're, they're still growing, right? So I think the macro factors are going to be much more important. And we really want to keep a close eye on 4175 on S&P 500 if you're interested in the short-term moves. That's pretty much the low from March. And we've been retesting that all throughout this week. Today, we hit a low, I think, of 4,200 as I speak. That's down about 13% from the all-time high on the S&P. If we break through that, people are going to be talking about 20% decline or a bear market. But that's all short-term stuff, right? We can't control these macro factors. I don't think investors want to be panicking here. They just have to be cognizant that this stuff is going on. Uh, the market could, you know, go into a bear market, but that's just the nature of being invested in stocks. So, from moving from uh, from the mega caps to the um, from the mega cap tech stocks to the emerging tech stocks, and specifically the um, you know ARKK. So, me, you wrote about um, about Teladoc and their their horror show of an, of, an, of earnings. Um, and yeah, so just kind of walk us through just how how bad this this has hit Kathy Woods' flag, flagship fund. 
Yeah, it's been an unmitigated disaster for Arc, and Teladoc is clearly facing a ton of competitive pressures. It's not the only game in town when it comes to telemedicine. Telemedicine is pretty much ubiquitous now. Everyone's offering it, and and it's showing up in the numbers, right? Teladoc cut their outlook for the year, and now the stock is trading at two times revenues. The market is basically um, saying that it has absolutely no confidence in the Teladoc business. So that's just another blow to ARC after it took dozens of blows already all this year. ARKK was down yesterday, even though growth stocks as a group were way up yesterday. So that right there tells you all you need to know about concentration risk. I know Kathy Wood says that concentration doesn't increase risk. Well, I mean, you can be the judge of that after you know what's happened to the ARC funds over the past year. Now, I don't want to pick on or, or bash ARC you know, at, at what is pretty much a low point for them, right? Today's prices in their stocks, you know, it's just a moment in time. They might be just as fleeting as those high prices we saw a year ago. Who knows, right? But what I will say is that the U.S. stock market, in the U.S. stock market, active management has consistently underperformed index investing. That doesn't mean you can't outperform. It just means that it's really hard to do, especially on a consistent basis. And, you know, what's even harder than picking stocks is picking active funds. At least when you're picking stocks, you're doing the homework yourself. You have some process and presumably you have conviction in the companies that you buy. But when you pick an active manager to pick stocks for you, you have none of that. You're trusting them completely and you're hoping that they're one of those small sliver of active managers that outperforms the indices. So I don't know. I don't understand it, but you know, maybe I'm being too harsh on active equity funds. What do you guys think? Um, I, I agree with you on active. I mean, what we're seeing is really the big risk with active with the ARC funds. You're kind of you're taking concentrated bets if you're, you know, picking a high if you're investing in high conviction funds. And yeah, convic- high conviction bets do increase the risk, in my opinion. I'm not sure what the argument would be against that. Um, you know, we and Arc had tremendous success for a couple years there. So I don't know. I'm I've always been an active management skeptic. Um, but when you do opt for active management, I always feel like you should go with um, you know, managers that have high convictions and that kind of reflect your own views on the market. Um that's how I appro- approach it personally. I guess the question is especially now when we are in a, um, you know, like, like Kathy Wood really sprung to the forefront in, in 2020 and in 2021 when the market in the, well, the first half of 2021 before inflation started to really rattle everything. But, um, you know, when you're, you know, it, it, I guess it becomes a question of just like how good does active management protect you in an environment where there are pitfalls everywhere. Uh, you know, if, if you're an active, if you're in an active fund and you have high conviction bets, especially in an environment where, um, where the federal government is, is, is propping up the economy really and propping up the credit markets, keeping interest rates near zero, 
um, and giving and giving and making it very easy for for tech stocks and for high growth stocks to continue to grow higher and higher because there's you know less skin in the game essentially uh, for for private investors to put money on on there when they when they know that you know for example corporate debt is going to be protected um, and it's going to be backstopped by the federal government during the the course of the pandemic. You know, now now we're in, in, in an era where there are a bunch of these macro concerns, and we are going to touch about them. You know, when we talk about the GDP numbers in just a couple of minutes, but I I don't know the literature. So, me, Heather, have you read anything that you know kind of tracks what active manage active management returns in you know I guess high GDP quarters versus low GDP quarters? Because to me, it just seems like you know that that's kind of like where there is the case for active management, if you listen to active managers, but I don't know quite exactly what the numbers would say to support or not support that. I feel like S&P may have something in their SPIVA report, or they might have that data, but I've never really read anything specifically about uh, how active management success relates to GDP movements. Um, But now I want to. (laughs) Yeah, that is a good question. I haven't read anything about that either. Obviously, I would assume that active management performs better in you know different market environments. Obviously, bull markets, active management is probably going to perform better. Um, so yeah, I'd be I'd be really interested to see that research. Well, I guess I know what I'm writing about in a little bit. Um, let's uh, let's pivot um, to the GDP numbers that came out. Um, uh, this week, uh, an unexpected con- contraction. The Bloomberg uh, median estimate from economists was that we're going to get a 1% increase in uh, GDP for the first quarter. And uh, the Atlanta Fed's weekly uh, estimate at, uh, before the, the earnings came out, or excuse me, uh, before the GDP numbers came out, was uh, going to be just 0.4% gain. But uh, U.S. GDP fell 1.4%, cut- catching a lot of people off guard. Um, I, I think there was just a lot of um, technical factors that were cited as being big drags. For example, gross private domestic investment fell from 36.7% in uh, the quarter prior to just 2.3% in Q1, uh, which I which has been attributed to just low inventories. Um, there was also quite a bit of uh, imports coming in, um, which is, is a net negative on GDP. Um, so I, I'm... So Heather, Samid, you know, the numbers came in, the market was still down, although I think that is probably just due to a number of just a general uh, vibe check of not being in a good vibe right now. Um, what do you, what's your kind of takeaway from, from reading these GDP figures and what do you think this, this spells for the, the macro economy? From everything I read, the GDP number I don't think is that concerning. Like you said, Dan, it had more to do with various temporary factors. I think one thing I read is imports were you know, super elevated, so that impacted the number. Also, defense spending fell pretty significantly. But if you look at consumer spending, which is probably the most important factor for GDP going forward, that was pretty strong. It was up 2.7%. So that's solid. Um, So I don't think this GDP number changes the narrative. And the narrative is still inflation is high. The Fed is going to hike rates aggressively to bring it down. And then we'll either get a soft landing or a harder landing 
sometime in 2023 as a result of that. I don't think the expectation is that we could get a recession imminently. You know, consumer spending, unemployment, all that stuff is just too strong right now for us to get a recession, you know, in the first half of this year. In 2023, though, anything can happen. So that's what we have to be concerned about. What do you think, Heather? Well, I I mean, I think we all read the same Economist article um, <laughs> where they it basically they basically uh, the Economist blew off kind of the fact that there was a surprise one point four percent decline because um, they attributed it to as. Dan mentioned the strong imports and uh, shifting inventory levels. Um, but what I thought was interesting was that they highlighted that there's a big disparity um, between the uh, states in the U.S. that like there's kind of almost like a regional uh, breakdown of um, how this uh, how growth is kind of distributed um, across the country. So um Hawaii, Alaska, and Louisiana are all struggling. Um, I mean, Hawaii obviously was hit really hard by the whole tourism issue, but you could probably say the same thing about Alaska and Louisiana. And then um, states like Utah, Idaho, and Washington are all doing pretty well and exhibiting strong growth. Um, you know, it's I, I it it sounds it seems like growth is kind of choppy, but you know, and I think you're right, Samit, it, we're probably not facing a recession immediately. But like you said, 2023, uh, all bets are off. Um, I, I feel like maybe the choppiness of the growth across the country is kind of like the first rumblings of, you know, what's going to become more wider spread. I don't know. Dan, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so, I mean, I didn't read that, that economist article. I know that you read that, uh, that publication religiously. I, I, I don't, I didn't take a look at the, at the, the regionals. Um, but I guess just looking at the bigger picture, um, I mean, yeah, it, it is the, the, it, it does seem like, like, uh, economists are not freaking out about the, about that. Uh, you know, there was kind of this concern of just like, what exactly does the Fed do when they're trying to hike and, and raise rates quickly for, for, to tamp down inflation, but what if there's a recession? And, you know, of course, a, t- a recession does not technically occur until there's two straight quarters of negative growth. Um, it, it, it seems like most economists are just saying, you know, there's no need to panic. The Fed was going to continue to go on their, on their war path. Um, I guess my, my question, and I, I'm, I'm kind of, I think I know the answer to this a little bit, but is to me, do you think that, you know, with a consumer spending as strong as it is, you know, does, and, you know, the kind of the underlying engine of the economy is still as strong as it is. Um, does the Fed look at this and say, you know, does this give us a little bit more ammunition to go for a 75 basis point rate hike? in the next couple of, of months. It, it doesn't seem to be that way. If you look at SIBO Fed Watch, it seems like a pretty, uh, it seems like the market is, price, is basically pricing in 50 basis point hikes for the next three months. But do you think that this, that you know, the underlying consumer demand is still in place, gives the Fed a little bit of room to maybe say, you know, maybe the, the market, maybe the, the market and the economy can absorb a 75 uh, basis point hike and, and help us tamp down inflation just a little bit faster. I, I don't think it's going to happen, right? I think 50 basis points is in play, like they've said over and over again, but 75 basis points, I think would, 
make it seem like the Fed is just unpredictable, right? No one has indicated that's going to happen. And that's just going to really cause chaos in the markets and not really accomplish anything, right? Because the Fed has already indicated to the market that's going to, it's going to hike a bunch of times. And that's already been priced into the market effectively, right? The 30 year, the 10 year, they're all around 3%. So hiking 75 basis points in the Fed funds rate isn't going to really accomplish much other than send a signal that the Fed is unpredictable and, uh, again, create chaos in the financial markets. They can accomplish everything they want to accomplish by taking a more measured approach and really uh, indicating to the market what they're going to do ahead of time rather than just doing something, um, you know, for shock and awe purposes. So, no, I don't I really don't think that's going to happen. All right. Well, we are going to call it there. Thank you for listening to Exchange Trade Fridays from ETF.com. If you've missed any portion of this conversation, you can always go to your favorite podcasting app and search for Exchange Trade Fridays. We'll have this episode up in a couple of hours and we will have the uh, and you can listen to all of our back catalog uh, on demand. Uh, but again, thank you very much. I'm Dan Micah, and on behalf of uh, my colleague Simi Roy, Heather Bell, and everyone else at ETF.com, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next week. This holiday, whether you're making a Kroger Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for 2 Kroger has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Kroger, fresh for everyone.